How y'all doing? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We welcome you to Harvest. And to the online audience, we welcome you and uh, want to give you an invite to be here. Anyway, that this congregation and pastoral staff can serve you, just let them know. I know they'd be happy to do it. And I'd like to give some appreciation to the office staff, to Bonnie and Michelle, for working to put the notes online and to help with the screen presentation tonight. God bless them real good. <laughs> I'm calling my remarks tonight, ready and waiting. And of course, it's going to kind of go along with the theme that uh, Pastor Matt has laid out for us here at Harvest. One of the most exciting times of preparation and anticipation in the Manichi household is when our son Victor is coming home from the West Coast for a visit. And I have to say, if Brenda's listening, I'm sorry, but you know how it is with brothers. <laughs> when he's coming, floors are scrubbed, carpets are freshly vacuumed, toilets are freshly cleaned, fresh bed linens go on the extra beds, they'll have a place to sleep, decorations may be rearranged, special food is purchased, and God knows what else mama does because Mama's boy is coming home. As Christians, what, in what activities do we engage to be ready and waiting for the Savior's return? Both Pastor Matt on February 5 and Pastor Brad this past Sunday mentioned a couple of things. Brad, for example, said embrace trust, seek reconciliation, pursue truth, most importantly, he said, find close Christian fellowship. Pastor Matt said, wake up, be aware so you can pray. Grow in godly relationships. Think about ways you can motivate other brothers and sisters. And use your gift to make a difference in somebody's life. Every single one of these things are absolutely essential and important. And uh, Matt used as a scripture a couple of weeks ago, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through, I think, 11. I'm going to read this, that passage, but I'm going to read it from the New King James Version tonight. So join me. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Now, just think of that. If you're going to speak into somebody's life, speak as the messenger of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Tonight, I want to take time and further clarify our readiness factor. Our readiness for Jesus' return is demonstrated by three divine characteristics which we must continually exemplify. Love, truth, and peace. I want you to say those with me. Love, truth, and peace. Now let me explain. 
To be ready for Jesus' return, one of the first things we must do and continually do is walk in love. Three of the four things Brad mentioned this past Sunday morning in his responses fall into this category of walking in love. We will only be able to trust God in difficult times if we know that he truly loves us. We will only seek reconciliation with God if we believe that he loves us. And we will only risk trying to reconcile with others if we are secure in our love relationship with the Heavenly Father. That way, if the person with whom we seek reconciliation does not respond favorably, we won't be wounded or reoffended. Growing in godly relationships is ultimately based on a love outside of ourselves. The New Testament uses a special word to describe this love. Matter of fact, it was coined in the New Testament. And that is the word agape. Agape, now I know there's two ways to say it, agape and agape. So I'm not a Greek scholar, but you know what I mean here. Agape can only be experienced through a relationship with Christ because Jesus himself is the ultimate expression of divine love. Agape is unending, selfless love that keeps on giving and requires nothing in return. It is divine love, not thwarted and not dismissed by its enemies. It is love that motivated our Savior to lay down his life for sinners. It is the love that enabled Jesus and enables us to forgive those who would hate and destroy It is the only love that totally removes the destructive desire to retaliate. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can agape operate in our lives. In in John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said, By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love, if you have agape for one another. Agape is the one thing that tells the world that we are truly the children of God. Jesus told the inquiring rich young ruler there were two commandments that would enable him to keep the whole of the Jewish law. We read about them in uh, several of the Gospels, but we read this in Mark chapter 12. The first commandment, he said, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Then Jesus said, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So how do we love? I'm referring to something Matt referred to a couple of weeks ago. The first thing comes from 1 Peter 4, 7, and I love the New Living Translation here. Be earnest and disciplined in prayer, earnest and disciplined in prayer. It was because of earnest and disciplined prayer that Jesus knew when to minister and how to minister. It was because of prayer he was moved with compassion and had extreme extreme sensitivity to those around him. Earnest and disciplined prayer opens up a realm of possibilities for loving people that would otherwise go unnoticed. I was telling Pastor Matt yesterday about the Jesus Movement revival that came to our little one-room schoolhouse church in Lexington Park, Maryland. 
Roberta and I are both convinced that because of one lady's earnest and disciplined and consistent prayer, God brought major revival to that congregation. Beside pastoring full-time, preaching three times a week, doing full-time secular employment, and trying to support my wife, who was, had given birth to our first child, my prayer life was uh, sadly lacking. But one lady, Mary Hines, asked if she could go to that little country church three days a week and pray. I was more than happy to oblige her and give her a key to the building. <laughs> People literally, now this church was six, miles, six and a half miles south of the light in town, and it was heading towards a peninsula. Only people went down there were people that went down that lived there, and there weren't too many, and those that were going down to Point Lookout to fish. But this one lady prayed. People literally pulled off the road while she was in there to go into the building. They were saved. She prayed for them. They were healed. There were people that were demon-possessed that were delivered. Shortly thereafter, young hippies began to show up to our church services. One by one, they were saved and delivered. So, how do we love? First, by being earnest and disciplined in our prayers. Secondly, love by being genuinely sensitive to the needs of those around you. I've learned that this is how our friend Esther often engages in meaningful prophetic ministry to total strangers. With just a look at a person, the Holy Spirit can download a message of understanding, hope, and encouragement. Now, it's a little frightful to follow through, but hey, that's, that's God, sensitivity. Each of us, based on our giftings, will be sensitive in different ways and to different needs. Recently, I heard a, about the plight of two individuals with totally different needs, and I was immediately motivated to pray for them on a daily basis. Now, that's just not something I do naturally, but it was the Holy Spirit bringing that sensi sensitivity. I want to take just a slight tangent here. With regards, with regards to God's love, remember this, the authentic Love of God is the most irresistible thing in the world. Will you, would you say that with me? The authentic love of God is the most irresistible thing in the world. I have never forgotten the story of the notori notorious demonized gang leader, Nicky Cruz, as told in the book, The Cross and the, and the Switchblade. Nikki was confronted by a little street preacher named David Wilkerson. Now, it, yeah, there is a relationship, okay? I don't know what it is, but it's there. <laughs> he pulled out a switchblade. Nikki pulled out a switchblade and threatened the preacher. Wilkerson's response, you can cut me in a thousand pieces, but every piece will say God loves you or Jesus loves you. It is that love that reached what seemed to be an impossible, hardened heart. And that really, and, and it changed his life. And it began a ministry that has literally changed tens of thousands of people with life-controlling addictions. We love by being sensitive to the needs of those 
around us. Matter of fact, David Wilkerson's whole story is one of sensitivity. I mean, here's a country preacher hours from New York City, and he picks up a magazine one night and sees the picture of some gang members in court, and the Holy Spirit gives him sensitivity to that need and speaks to him. And that's really how it all began. So let me go back to a couple more things. How do we love? We utilize the gifts that God has given us. This coming Sunday, Roberta and I are going to conduct a small group in the home of Tom and Zoya Fuller. It's a great illustration of two couples coming together with different gifts in the body of Christ. My gift is, is that of pastoring and showing mercy and compassion. My ability is to enable me to listen to people, pray with people, encourage people, help them with a deeper understanding of God's word. Tom and Zoya are preeminent hosts. They love having people in their home. They love serving others. So in different ways, two couples will be ministering the love of Christ. Now, let me just throw in a little advertisement here, okay? There are many couples, there are many people who will be sharing their gifts through leading a group. So you know what? Take advantage of somebody's ministry and become part of one of those groups. As a result... Guess what? God is going to be honored and glorified. And I just got to throw in, I love this, this line here, this verse in 1 Peter 4, 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Got that without grumbling part? Now, if you got a gift of hospitality, you're probably not going to grumble. But for those that don't have that gift of hospitality, eh, it's, sometimes you're like gritting your teeth when you're trying to bless somebody. No. Smile and be hospitable, okay? Do it without like giving. Do it without grumbling. While the wor world, or I'm sorry, while the word is very clear where to love is Jesus loved, we live in a world that is not always positively receptive to that love. And I want you to think about this. Slight tangent here, but I, I, I wanted to share this. Hatred from the world, even for our compassion, is sadly becoming more and more of a reality. Think of the reaction recently to the, the Super Bowl ad. He gets this. The Bible has become hate speech. Christians endeavor to save babies from certain that endeavor to save babies from certain death or are arrested. Our values are mocked, and we could go on and on. Jesus said. In John 15, these things I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, then they'll keep yours also. So what is the first key to being ready for Jesus' return? Walk in love. Even if people do not understand you, even if people respond negatively, even if they're hateful, keep on walking in love. That's, that's the light and the fragrance 
of the church to the world in which we live. Next, be ready, be ready by walking and living in truth. Pastor Brad mentioned this specifically, truth. Truth for Christians is God's word. Psalms 119, 160. The entirety of your word is truth. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. One of my favorite verses is Psalms 100, verse 5. I'll say it going to bed sometimes. I'll say it waking it up. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. So Jesus, Terry, 100 gen generations from now, the same truth is be the truth it is today. The truth we have today was the same truth 100 generations past. Because God never changes. I mean, you just think of that. What's truth to me is going to be truth to somebody generations from now if they're holding on to God's truth. As Christians, truth is the basis of our belief system. A belief system is a set of values, thoughts, ideas that a person or a group of people believe. Beliefs are basically the guiding principles in life that provide direction and meaning. Every person has a belief system. Every person has a belief system. I like the person that said, beliefs are a choice. In other words, a person ultimately chooses what they will believe and on what they base their beliefs. I choose the word of God. Psalms 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. What makes God's truth unique? It is the fact that it is not simply intellectual. It is more than intellectual. It has to be spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit must bring life to the word. When the Holy Spirit reveals truth, really there's nothing more needed. Think of this. There are primarily two things that will turn a one-time Christian believer away from the truth of God's word. Number one, there is no personal revelation from the Holy Spirit. Or it's, 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 it's intellectual. It's no different than any other statement they read or book they read. It, it's intellectually discerned. It has to go beyond that. The Holy Spirit has to give revelation. And I, I, I hope I got a second here. Let me just throw this in. I remember in my, I'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was preaching, ordained minister of the gospel. I'm in my mid-30s. But I'm having a crisis of faith. I'm wondering, is this stuff really real? I mean, I've seen God save people, everything. Is it really real? But the Holy Spirit came and gave a revelation that literally changed my, my whole life. And today, there's nothing that would rock my faith whatsoever. But it took that revelation of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we, we need to see happen. People need a revelation of truth. And another thing that will cause people to walk away is immorality. You know, they don't like what the Bible says about something, so they decide, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, either they rationalize it away or they say to themselves, well, it's a little bit antiquated. <laughs> Amen. Anyway, let's go. If we're going to remain in a constant state of readiness for Jesus' return, we must never compromise truth. We must constantly walk and live according to God's word. And then finally, we need to live in peace. Isaiah 26, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Isaiah 32, 17, the work of righteousness will be peace, the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Oh, I just love that. Quietness and assurance forever. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Peace, it's wholeness and friendship in both human relationships and in our covenant relationship with God. Strong, in his concordance, notes many English words that convey the meaning of shalom. A few of them are completeness, wholeness, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, harmony, absence from agitation or discord. The New Testament word for peace is irene. It is exemption from the rage and havoc of war. Irene is peace between individuals. It is security, safety, prosperity, harmony. It is the tranquil state of the soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Wow. Think of it. You lay down your head on your bed at night. No matter what's going on. And have that assurance. Ah, all is well. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these words. Be joyful, grow in maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. And then he says in Romans, if it, Paul says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Peace is antithetical to the ways of the world. In contrast, every believer should radiate a divine serenity and contentment that mystifies those who look at us. We live in a world filled with overwhelming confusion. There's political and societal unrest, family discord, we're seeing bold displays of anger and hatred. People unashamedly intimidate and terrorize those who think they're different from themselves or think differently than they. There's a lack of peace because of a growing anger and discontent in the hearts of people. There's a lack of peace because people are fighting for their own rights. There's a spirit of entitlement growing among people. The life and experience of, the, of a believer should be completely opposite of that. God's peace should bring clarity instead of confusion. His peace should assuage anger and overcome hate. 
Like Paul, we have divine enabling to be calm and contented in whatever circumstances in which we find ourselves. There's no need to rail against God because circumstances didn't work out as we expected. Disappointment disappears when we take Paul's advice in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, and I love this passage, and I love it in the New Living Translation. Don't, come on, let's say it together. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's, I love that. That's one of my favorites. Romans 14, 17, and 19. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but, right, drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which by which we may edify or build up one another. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Rather than discontent, we choose to be, as Christians, we choose to be in a state of constant contentment. All right, we make that choice. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, Paul said, with plenty or little. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. When he said I can do everything, that means I can be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. Rather than a sense of entitlement, we demonstrate genuine humility. Jesus said, he who is greatest of all is the servant of all. Jesus, who lives in us, is the prince of peace. He's the prince of shalom. He is the one who motivates and enables us to live out his peace in a very troubled world. In conclusion, there are three things, three principal characteristics that must guide your action and prove you are ready and waiting for Jesus' eminent return. Walk in love, walk and live in truth, and live in peace. Walk in love. Let love guide every decision and all your interactions. Walk and live in truth. Never compromise God's word. Always, always, always do what is right. Be a person of absolute and utmost integrity. And then live in peace. Let there be a calm serenity in your life that literally mystifies people and makes them want to know what it is that's going on in your life and why. And when they ask, calmly look at them with the biggest smile possible and say, Jesus. Jesus. Father, enable us by your Holy Spirit to walk in love, to walk and live continually in your truth, and live in the peace that Jesus alone can give.